Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray, and I have a returning guest, but it's been a long time. It very much, we did two episodes in the early days of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, but we haven't for about two years been able to have Curtis Anderson back on. Uh, last time we talked, it was about two Halloweens ago, and it was all kind of like the first entries in a bunch of like really prominent horror series. Um, and this show that we're going to be doing is remote horror. And I, I think we may be up to our game. There's some pretty brutal films that we're going to be looking at here. Uh, that, um, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to hear where uh, we're, we're at. I think I was giving a little bit of a heads up about how you feel about at least one of these movies, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun to talk about. So Curtis, first of all, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Have I been, have we done this since COVID? We were in COVID, I think. Yes, you did. That's right. That's right. Because I remember doing the first one at your house. And yeah. then, yeah, the second one was in my garage. Yeah, That's the right. second one was similar to this, like the video thing. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that was in the middle of COVID 2020. I didn't, I didn't even think about that until you used the word remote horror. I was like, it's been remote everything for it's Remote everything. Years, so. In our lives is remote here. I think the original idea behind this theme was uh, the idea of um, situations where, um, which is used a lot in horror, where these people are stuck in, in this impossible situation and they're far away from civilization in one way or another. And and how that plays out in each of these films is, uh, is different for sure. I, I certainly have a very uh, traditional, like we get to talk about it on another Friday the 13th entry in here. Um, one of One of the the camp crystal isolation horror movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but some of these other, other ones add that to me, that was the Friday the 13th was kind of the, uh, the relaxed. Oh, let me, let me enjoy myself and have some, some traditional fun slasher because these other ones are very, very heavy, intense films. Um, uh, some, you know, I have a, a longer history with, one of these, I mean, I have watched uh, multiple times, and I have to admit, at one point or another, has scared me each of those times, and it's pretty hard to scare me. I mean, I've watched a lot of these things. I, I can watch them for entertainment value, and a lot of people really react to these films. I don't often react to a horror movie or, or feel uncomfortable, and, and, and one of these that we'll talk about still brings that out. And uh, Wow. Yeah. And it, I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, and within that, I kind of want to correct some some things from another show that I'm on on a regular basis, Rank and Review. I did a top 30 of, uh, of the first decade of the, the 21st century. And um, that movie, uh, I had gotten mixed up with some other ones at the time, but really should have been on my list. And, and so, uh, and there's some other ones we're talking about that did make my list. And maybe the last few years or whatever, now this one is overtaking that one. So I'm talking very cryptically here, but we'll get to that, to that in the reviews here. So the uh, six movies we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at, uh, again, <laughs> I said heavy, and we're going to start off uh, arguably with the heaviest here. Uh, Lars von Trier, a controversial filmmaker to say the least, is uh, his film Antichrist. Uh, and then we're going to look at the Blair Witch Project. 
uh, directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Uh, the big financial out of nowhere story of 1999, a year which was filled with amazing movies, but it's one of the, it's one that's had some uh, staying power in uh, the horror movie uh, world for sure. Then um, Friday the 13th, not, uh, it, 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 it's not the only time that they lied to us, but it was the first time they lied to us. They said Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Uh, and I recently reviewed uh, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, which was also a lie because there were some Jason movies after that. So they, they like to lie to us. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm at the point now in my life where I don't, it doesn't matter to me if it was supposed to be the final one at that time. And never going to end. They, they were, it was a license to print money and for Paramount at the time. And of course, they were going to continue on. Um, but the, uh, the censors and the spotlight on that franchise afterwards led to heavy cutting of their films and uh, uh, it made it, yeah, it, it made it more difficult to make a true uh, horror movie out of that, that franchise. But I'm not sure that was happening quite as much with this entry. Uh, then Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes from 1977. Of course, there's a, quite a, a solid remake of that movie as well. Not the only one we're talking about that has a remake. Uh, then we're going to take a look at um, Brian Bertino's The Strangers. Uh, and again, it's one that kind of got mixed in in that first, uh, that first decade there of the, of the 21st century. There was this and another movie I would get mixed up with, Vacancy, as well. And I think that's maybe a little bit of a marketing problem and a oversaturation of some of these types of movies at the time. But... I, I may make an argument here that The Strangers is one that people should definitely check out here. So spoilers for a little bit later on in the show when we talk about it. And then we're going to end off uh, another kind of controversial for the amount of, certainly the amount of violence he would include in his films, and I would say the sex for this one. Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs, the first time he moved out of uh, working in the Western genre, and he went over to the UK and... Uh, made this movie starring Dustin Hoffman that uh, had a lot of controversy in the early 70s. I won't say it necessarily. I'm glad you're excited about it, but I won't say this is like the, the fun horror night. I, I wouldn't recommend some of these to just anybody, even if they're movies I personally like. But that said, uh, I, I think, you know, these are... My, my thumb would be up for all of these movies, even though sometimes uh, the next morning I have to look at myself in the mirror and go, why is my thumb up for, for a couple of these films? Because there's some horrific ideas and, and scenes happening in them. So anything else you want to say about them before we start reviewing? Out of these six, I had not seen three of them. Mm. Isn't that crazy? So three first-time watch. So that'll be cool because yeah. um, this was... I, I had watched all of these at least once and some of them several times before mm -hmm. this. So uh, now we'll see... How that impacts. I, I like that idea for uh, somebody's first impression impacting my long-term feeling about film. So I think this will be a good show, sir. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Close your eyes. Tell me what you see. my fault. I want to die too. Stay with me. Stay with me. Your thoughts. 
thoughts distort reality. That's what fear is. I love you. Let's make a list of things you're afraid of. Where would you feel most exposed? The woods. What scares you about the woods? Everything. Is it any woods in particular? Eden. Imagine you're at Eden. Imagine you arrive at Eden through the woods. Tell me what you see. Darkness comes early down here. I heard a sound. The cry of all the things that are to die. The ground is burning. The ground is not burning. I've just been having a lot of crazy dreams. <laughs> you love me. Help me. You said you wanted to help me! Where are you? Nature is Satan's church. The evil you talk about is an obsession. No! you want to kill me? Oh, yeah. I suppose the film that I'm most conflicted about on this in this group is Antichrist. Lars von Troyer, I, I first heard of him in this independent movie wave of 1996. That was a year of Fargo and a bunch of other big movies came out. There was this film called Breaking the Waves, which uh, was very prominent in art house circles. Uh, it made Emily Watson, the very talented British actor, was a star. She got an Oscar nomination for it. I didn't realize, like I started watching this guy's movies, that he he really is somebody who operates in his own world and his own rules and doesn't really care what anybody thinks. And he sometimes can be the worst enemy for the marketing of his own pictures. There's another uh, film that, which I like quite a bit, and I would say I like more than Antichrist, where he went on and he said some things which suggested that, said some nice things about Nazis. Uh, and he was just, it, 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 it went over like a lead balloon at the press conference, and the star of his, the American star of his movie, like turned to him and was like, what are you doing? And he sometimes does this. I don't know if it's because he's uncomfortable with the press. He likes to create controversy or whatever. And Antichrist has everything you could possibly imagine that would would offend people. We're treated in this, and it is, there's some gorgeous cinematography. I mean, this movie looks good, and you can tell it's made by a very talented filmmaker. But in this beautiful black and white sequence we're treated to this couple having very graphic sex while their young child gets up out of bed spots them having sex and then proceeds to uh, go to the window and then jump to his death are we having fun yet and that's probably it gets more and more depressing after that point because then looking back i should have followed that kid out the window I think I know this is the one where you, I, I kind of know where you stand. Uh, after this, um, 
we're we're taking a look at this grieving couple. Uh, it probably doesn't help the the, the couple is uh, is played by the wonderful actor Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg, who is, if nothing else, you'd say she's a gutsy actor and, and quite talented. And I, she's been in a few of Von Trier's films, and she she's just willing to do anything in his films. I don't I don't quite get it because sometimes his treatment of women is questionable, including in this film. Uh, and Willem Dafoe is a, a solid guy and from everything I can tell, a really nice guy. So there must be some charm that this fella has to get these people into his movies and sometimes for more than once. But anyway, Willem Dafoe happens to be um, a, a psychiatrist and he's convinced he can single-handedly help his wife overcome her grief by uh, going to some extreme measures and going off into this uh, very strange wooded cabin area uh, and to do some rather, rather I would say, dangerous therapeutic techniques uh, to uh, try to help her. And then uh, there are forces at play that turn this so horribly wrong. Turning to my notes, and again, this would be on uh, the negative side, as you might imagine, some of the things that we are treated to in this film, besides that gruesome uh, first scene I talked about, uh, we get to see some tree masturbation. We get to see the couple hitting each other to uh, get aroused in a, a sex scene. Then, of course, there is a very famous uh, mutilation, self-mutilation scene of a clitoris. So where I'm torn on this one is, this is horrific. I mean, this is this is capital beyond capital H horror, and if you take horror in its purest definition, as I did at one point in my life, this is a horror movie. I do not feel comfortable about what I've seen and and what I've experienced at the end of this. But I've learned over the years that uh, horror also should there should be some entertainment, and there should be some fun to it, and I don't know what this movie is now. Rethinking it, where I liked it. Uh, I didn't like what was happening, but I am, admired it as a well-made film and the pushing of ideas and going out there with it. I kind of went with them uh, for a while there. But where, where I'm stuck on that is who is this film for? And what I can come down to, and I even listened to a commentary with him this time, this movie was for Laws Von Trier and for Laws Von Trier only because he was severely depressed when he wrote and made this film and it shows on the screen because his desire perhaps is to make everybody who has watched it feel deeply depressed. And I think he succeeded in that front, but whether this is, whether this is worth happening, should this have been made? Is this, you know, is it okay to push the boundaries in this direction? Those are the questions I'm still wrestling with after three or four viewings. And I have watched this three or four times as unpleasant as it is. Uh, this is the second time I've had to review it for for a podcast, and so the last couple times I've watched it, I'm watching it very carefully, writing notes and and analyzing it. And maybe maybe when I'm doing that, my brain is engaged and it's working on some sort of cerebral level. But if I'm sitting back, I'm I end of a hard day. I'm not putting Antichrist on to have a to have a good night or to feel good. I I I don't I don't know why. As well made as it is, I don't know why I would watch this again, but yet I, I, I admire his abilities as a filmmaker, and I, especially the cinematography and the art direction 
and where the actors were willing to go for this. But I'm conflicted. And I don't think you're as conflicted as I am, but we'll, we'll see. No, this was on a very short list of movies I just had no desire to watch. And I will watch some messed up stuff. Like, mm -hmm. I will hang my hat on that and take great pride. But there's just a certain... Just certain boxes that are checked that I'm like, no, I just, I don't want that. You know, Antichrist, Human Centipede, two of like the three or four movies I was like, I just never want to watch. But when you pitched this, I was like, for sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And yeah, you, uh, picked, you picked this episode. So, uh, and then when you said that, I was thinking, but it must have been for some of the other ones we're talking about. It wouldn't have been, <laughs> oh, Antichrist is on this list. Hurrah. This is the mm -hmm. one I wanted to do. I agree with you that like the black and white scenes, the cinematography is just next level. It looks so beautiful. There's some creepy parts, like the hands coming out of the trees. Oh yeah. Making love just that is oh, that is perfect. That is some good stuff. But of all the horrific scenes they throw at you, I felt like none of it had weight. I'm sorry. I think that was a giant fail. I have seen some heavy movies where the violence is like a two out of 10, where this is an 11 and you still remember it. Like compare the scene with her and the scissors and the self mutilation to like the last 10 minutes of uh, Requiem for a dream, you oh, know, yeah. like the fact that nobody talks about that scissor scene tells you how much of a fail it is. When you talk about like the most disturbing things you've ever seen on film, I've never heard anyone bring up antichrist. And to me, that's a huge fail. Well, I, I'd say I'm not sure that many people have seen this movie. I mean, it was kind of like a movie geeks, like, oh, there's this movie that is so out there that he's done. And I just heard rumors about it, but there weren't a, a ton of reviews. It wasn't in wide release. No. In theaters. I saw it. I don't know where I saw it somewhere and picked up the DVD. And because I was, was like, well, I like Willem Dafoe and I've seen this guy's stuff before. So what, what? possibly could this be and then and then i saw it and it was like oh so i think if, if more people had seen it like that's Maybe the thing that people, about more. two yeah. things that people remember about this movie for those who have seen it i would argue that it would be that that self-mutilation and then the other one is when the fox talks to willem dafoe yeah that's i took it i took a screenshot of that on my phone <laughs> Like, that's what uh, I will admit, like I went into this and I tried, I tried to have an open mind, but there was a lot of me that was like, I'm already, I just know I'm not going to like this movie. And I tried to get past it and I tried to see the good, but it just, things were just happening and I didn't care. I was just so not invested. I felt like, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I was like, does this guy kind of hate women? And I didn't want to be that guy that like pushes that into the review, but it's like, okay, so this girl lost her kid and now all she wants to do is like have sex. That's like what happened to her. She's just like all the time. That's, that's, that's what, that's what happened to her. That's where her mind went. Like, well, oh, okay. And, and I think in some ways there's, there's this strange greater message in the film that nature is evil and like yeah. the world and nature is evil and that women are more connected to nature than men are. And therefore, women are more evil. And and she really turns into this is point where where uh, she is she is hunting Defoe down, and it is is like she is possessed by a demon. And yep. she's done different things, like holding his hand out there, and he gets uh, all of those leeches 
on, on his hand. There's the business where, uh, where, where she hammers that, um, kind of that weight into, uh, like, well, she, in, in she drills a hole through his leg and then puts a like, like weight. Yeah. What we call a pole through it. And yeah. Then wrenches it shot. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't seem to slow him down that much. I will admit he, he does a good job of not being in shock from that and dragging dragging that around the forest for half the movie, which I guess he's just tougher than all of us. And I mean, I, I mean, this may be some sort of like bizarre and very dark and very cynical meditation on relationships and uh, relationship with, with, with grieving and where they're broken and they, they probably should be going separate ways. And instead they're torturing each other. And, but uh, like, you you don't really like either of them, no. Right? And and it the movie is these two characters the whole time. I mean, it is basically a two hander, just with these these various creatures in the forest that uh, are all kind of represented. Like the again, I think the opening sequence would be I would never show it to a high school class, obviously, but a university film class because um, the little kids' toys. Are are kind of those uh, are are represented in there. There is foreshadowing of everything that is going to happen and some symbolism of everything that's going to happen in that sequence at the beginning of the film. And uh, well, I'm sorry, and, all all that went over my head. Like yeah, the third but, shot, the third shot of the movie was just straight up penetration. It took me. Yeah, I wasn't looking at kids' toys after that. I was just like, what? No, what? Because <laughs> and. Because I, I've watched it now a few times, uh, I, I know all the shocking stuff. The first time you watch it, it's just holy. Yeah, they're going there with this stuff. You know, doesn't really care about censors or anything, and mm-hmm. whether his film gets banned. And so, part of me admires that end of things. But now I've been able to sort of watch some other details around that, and I watch a lot more. Um, I've come up with a theory, which is might be complete. BS that that uh, this this little kid because he sees his parents having sex that's when he decides to uh, he can't live with himself and, and jump out the window but this is like a little you know kid who would not necessarily have the brain power to think of that but that might be I I, I have this theory that Lazarus von Trier maybe he, part of him is in every one of these characters but he may see himself as that little boy and he's dealing with relationships with his mother. And maybe that's the reason that his female characters come out the way they do yet. He can get some really good performances out of them. And I I do want to say Charlotte Gainsbourg and Willem Dafoe are very good. I mean, I can't fault their acting. I can't fault the look of the film, but once they get to that cabin and onwards, it, it is normally that's like the fun part in one of these like, cabin or remote horror films as everything mm-hmm. happens there it is just a torturous slog going through there but and i mean maybe i was more willing when i was younger to put myself through that and now that i'm getting i'm in the middle-aged range maybe i'm more leaning towards well, let's watch jason Voorhees. the you fact know. that i hated both the characters just i don't know like i just i felt nothing while i watched it i'll be honest <laughs> i i could not get invested in this and i was watching this horrific thing after horrific thing and it just kept going i was like okay well, what happened yeah okay. you're just numb to it after a while and i think that that's 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 fair enough i mean but i, I just want to say like i i don't think uh, those, those who would say this is a bad movie and again my thumb went from like whoa they went there way to go now it's to like my thumb is is, is barely standing up on this one and you're hearing me wrestle with myself a little bit more on this 
Yeah. This is one of the ones looking in the mirror the next day. Can I still recommend this one? I, and I think this is one that I had put on that that list of the 30 horror movies of that decade. But I I, I might rethink that one now in some ways. But I, I can't deny it is horrific. But it's not pleasant. It's not entertaining. And uh, again, I'm not. I'm, I've had a bit of a rethink on this one. So so did she watch him climb out the window? Did I kind of in towards the end when they yes. were like talking back? She watched yeah. it and didn't stop she, it. She was um, so committed to having the orgasm that she was having that she wasn't willing to stop the sex to go save her her son. Yeah, yeah. And and then she's a glowing reflection of women. (laughs) And 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 then she's in this deep depression after that and feels responsible. Yeah, she she like is responsible. Uh, They 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 both are. But yeah, that's. But I don't know. Maybe it's just that scene or there's little moments here where I'm still clinging on to it. But I get what you're saying. And I think we've given Antichrist a, a lot of time here. So we're, we're probably ready to move on to the next one unless there's something more you want to say. No. When you asked me what order I wanted to do this, I just spit out alphabetical order because I I wanted to get this one done first. But I didn't want to be like, let's do this one first, Jason. So it'll be fun after this but i'm glad you made me watch it but probably never again and yeah i'll never make you watch it again i promise i appreciate that this is my home which i am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the Blair witch i can see you i'm real excited about this thank you for i'm the very glad this area's been haunted by that old woman oh years. yeah I don't know why you have to have every conversation on video. Because we're making a documentary. Not about us getting lost. We're making a documentary about a witch. I don't. Lost? Admit that first. No, I know we're not lost. They're all over the place. But how do we know it was people? Well, even if it wasn't, I'm not going to play with that either. And it's all because of me that we're here now. (laughs) Hungry. And cold. And hunted. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. Tell me where you are, Josh! I love telling this story every time the Blair Witch Project of 1999 comes up about being in the drama department at the University of Saskatchewan. And this was months before the Blair Witch was released in theaters. And there was a, a bootleg VHS going around of the movie. And the rumor throughout is that this was indeed a found video of these people who went out to make a documentary in the woods and never came back. And watching it on that old VHS, which was passed around the department, I think that's probably the best way ever to watch the Blair Witch Project because it it was freaky. And to me, it was, you know, you couldn't see all the images as clear as the Blu-ray I now have of it. But there was so much stuff going on 
that it left you feeling uncomfortable. That is the power of the Blair Witch Project. I feel like uh, part of this episode is me over uh, correcting for these lists that I've done over the years. When I did the 90s show on uh, Rank and Review, I put the Blair Witch Project as 25th. And my buddy Larry, he put it as number one. Uh, number one horror movie of the 90s. I, I, I'm not sure I would go with it as number one of the 90s because t- from moment to moment, I, I have the weirdest experience with this movie. I've watched it a lot. And sometimes I watch it and I'm like, yeah, this is one of the scariest movies ever made and it's its legacy is earned. Other times I watch it, yeah, it's okay or whatever. But I think my first experience with it is the one I need to cling on to and that's probably the best because I did go and see it in theaters a few months later and it just didn't have the impact for me that it did on that VHS tape. Mm. So it's, to me, kind of not a big screen movie, and I don't think it ever was was meant to be. But that said, it it is a very good film, uh, but it's a, it's a polarizing film. I mean, at the time, it, it was made for nothing, and it made millions and millions of dollars. It was probably the biggest moneymaker of 1999, just because of how little it cost. But it was also up for Razzie Awards. And in, in some cases, this was the start of the idea with these found footage movies that the characters are not likable. And in particular, when, when we're looking at a character that's going to get the worst time, it's uh, the Heather character played by Ree Hans. And this last time, I mean, I, I watched it. I watched it every time. Sometimes it didn't bother me in the first few few times. I kind of am getting what those who criticized it had to say about it because, you know, she, she yells, she's shrill. She has these breakdown scenes, these apology scenes that you'll often get in these films. But I'm just wondering if I was in the same situation that these characters were in, would I react exactly the same way? I mean, I might not do some stupid things like throw the map in the river or or, or some of these, these different obstacles to create conflict amongst the three. If you haven't seen this movie from 23 years ago, this uh, group of documentary filmmakers are they're doing a documentary on this Blair Witch. You go and interview some kind of redneck town folk. And then they go out into the woods to camp out for a couple days and then they're planning to go back. And then they find that they're going in a circle and they are lost in the woods and there are creepy things happening outside their tents. Different wood characters are hanging from trees and they start to hear these noises. And we hear the noises with them, but we're forced into seeing what they're seeing through the camera and we just don't completely know what's going on and characters start to disappear and it it leads to a I, I think as of all the setup I liked back in the day but I, I'm, I'm growing to love that that climax it's a very freaky end to the film and it, Antichrist left you feeling very unhappy this one leaves you feeling unhappy but I would say that you've been entertained and you've been given you've been given something at the time that was quite different than what we had seen throughout the 90s and even in the 80s for horror movies so it, it's a bit of a pioneer film I think maybe some other films have mastered the the uh, that found footage or forced perspective a bit better, but it's no doubt the Blair Witch Project is an important horror movie, and I like it a whole lot, and I wish I could say I love it. Back in 99, I was like, I love this movie. Now I'm a happy medium. I'm, you know, I like it a lot. I get the sense you really enjoy it, but I could be wrong. I love it. I had just gotten married in 1999 right out of high school what month did this come out it was like july wasn't it when did it hit theaters or july my wife and i were there opening night we were there opening night in the theater to see this it had so much buzz and it's just i look back now and this is something that 
I'm so happy I'm as old as I am because this would never happen again. Like you said, passing it around on a VHS, people not sure if it's real or not. And just the mindset we had when we were teenagers uh, that we weren't we weren't too smart kids today with knowledge. And I know it sounds like an old man, but, you know, I I know kids don't want they don't like this when they watch Blair Witch now because they want they're too smart to be scared. They're too smart to ever think that it was real. And we still had that I'm not saying we were dumb and gullible, but we didn't have unlimited information at our fingertips. We had to go and find stuff out. You know, I like we saw in the theater and I already knew it was fake. But there were lots of people that still like after it was in the theater legitimately believed it was real footage. And that's that's magic. Plus, speaking of magic, this was original, like, Get Famous making a YouTube video, basically, right? Mm-hmm. They went yeah. out and they made their own movie for Peanuts and became stars, became famous. It made millions. I mean, that how many dreams did that ignite? You know, you watch other movies made in 1999 and you're like, well, I'll never have the budget. I'll never be able to do that. But this was something where it's like, you could do this. Yeah, You can go out and make movies like that. There's just so much surrounding this film. And I love all of it. I love the film itself. Mm-hmm. I know there had been found footage films before this, but yeah, yeah. this was just such a weird, I don't know why it's so popular, but popular moment of 1999. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we were dealing with Woodstock 99 at the time, and it was a really exciting time in my life, too. And this was a part of it where it's like, oh, God, we, you know, drop everything. Not that we had anything to drop because we were like 20. But it was like, let's go. We got to go see this opening night. And then we went out for drinks after because all we did at this time was like party. And we're all with our friends and talking about the movie. And oh, there's that guy standing in the corner. And I've watched this movie probably 10 times. I've never I've never hated Heather. She's trying to keep the train on the tracks and be safe and be like, yeah, things are freaky. But come on. You know what I mean? Until it's too late. I can't find flaws in it. I'm sorry. I think uh, this is an absolute home run checks every box and again it wasn't the first but it was like the first major one for our generation and uh all the paranormal activities can come but there can only be the first and that was blur witch mm-hmm. and uh again just to reiterate something like the blur witch will never happen again because kids pride themselves on having all that information and it's always a race to be the first to hate something today you know yes this was such an innocent time where everybody was talking about it and it wasn't like a I hated it. I loved it. It was like, oh, you might get motion sickness if you see in the theater. Yes. But like, everyone had an opinion, but no one was too good for it. You know what I mean? Watching this takes me back to a time when that was real. And that was, it wasn't just crappy fighting online about everything. You know, if people liked something, you couldn't just be like, I don't like it. Just to be the first, you know, just to have a counter argument. And I'm so happy I was like a kid during that time where not everyone had an opinion, you know? We had more imagination and we were more willing to accept things when we watched movies. But to me, the the, the marketing, and this was one of the early kind of internet marketing campaigns, there was this website and it led to this whole history and, and just... Uh, to me, the marketing campaign of the Blair Witch Project is as good, if not maybe even better than what the film is itself. But I still appreciate it for the memories of that time. It's a nostalgia thing where I really like it, but I know I don't like it as much as you or as my friend Larry, because just every once in a while, like every second time I see it, it's bizarre. If I watch a movie multiple times, I've zeroed in after a while on, okay, this is this is always a positive experience for me, or this is always a negative experience, but I'm working really, really hard to try to make it a positive experience. But this one is, sometimes I'm just watching him, it's like, I'm, I'm back there again. And other times I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what's... You can't be distracted if you're watching Blair Witch. You can't be distracted. You Your mind is creating the horror because it doesn't show anything. Yeah. So if you're worried about 
something else and you're trying to watch Blair Witch, there's you're not it's not going to resonate the same. And that's maybe it. I mean, sometimes with this show, I'm watching something, squeezing in time after work or whatever, and it's been the end of whatever kind of a work day, and my mind's still on that, and I haven't been able to let that go and focus on it. I think you you've nailed it. Uh, well, it's just like I remember my mom, my one friend telling me that he had read that they rented the like camcorders they shot it on from Walmart and then returned yeah. it after they shot the movie. Yeah. I have no idea if that's true, but again, yeah. that's that's something today I would never say on social media because I'll have 600 people being like, well, actually, well, actually. And But yeah. back in the day, I was like, that's awesome. I don't know if it's true, but it could be. That's amazing. There's so many I, stories about, about this, but that's what what the characters did was they had borrowed this equipment. And that's part of the conversation. I'm supposed to be back on Friday. Yeah. My girlfriend's going to be worried about me and I have to return this camera equipment. We're going to be charged all this money for returning it late before they realize how deep they're in. And, and there is really something to me about like the climax is great, but when they're stuck in that tent and just th- there's something and that's where I kind of like the remote horror is you are so vulnerable. Like if you're I, I don't do much like tenting, I, but in a tent, there's nothing to stop a bear or or any of these things but then this whatever whatever forces are happening or whatever cult or whatever that they they just don't know what they're in and we I, we just really feel like we're right in there with them and some found footage movies they attempt to make us part of the story but darn is aren't as successful Blair Witch is is very good at that so many found footage films these days just so rely on technology where it's like oh there's a security camera in every single corner of every room they go into it doesn't bug me that much but again Blair Witch nailed it they nailed yeah. it and and they were the pioneer I mean we got so many movies after this because and and made made on the cheap and made lots of money and I mean you could go through the there's some, there's some great ones in there there's some that aren't so great but Blair Witch has to be given credit for moving it forward not being the, the first to do it but being the one that kind of did it the best at the time it. Friday, the 13th, the final chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow, dark and silent. Sorry, you changed your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the car scroll? He simply, mindlessly, mercilessly, Kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Friday, April 13th, is Jason's unlucky day. 
interesting. This is in the middle part of the show, our third review, but it was towards the end of, of this that I watched Friday the 13th Part 4, uh, the final chapter, or at the time it was called Friday the 13th, the final chapter, a big old lie. But uh, we'll forgive them for that because I, I might argue that this is uh, one of the best entries in the Friday the 13th Jason Voorhees franchise. Yet I, I, I do have some criticisms and I, I always forget that they decided to put a little bit of a clip show of the first three <laughs> movies at the very beginning of the film. And, and, and then when that happens, I'm just taken out of it immediately. And it took a while for them to get me back. They're wrapping it up. They're wrapping it up. And then we 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 do see, and I believe this is the last time they they kind of followed exact from right from the moment of the previous film at that mm-hmm. farmhouse, and we see Jason Voorhees. Not the only time he's carted off, carted off to a morgue, nope. and uh, won't people, be the last. People, yeah, people there in the hospital. Uh, pay for the consequences but that opening that whole stretch there is not my favorite but once we get to the main story back at camp crystal lake i i think it is a masterpiece of of the slasher genre so and it was a fun horror movie and i i just really can't say as much as i admire these other movies we're talking about even blair witch has this heavy heaviness to it i'm not like having a great time with it, watching these people being, you know, tortured in, in their tent and in the woods. But there's some fun to be had with uh, Friday the 13th. And I, I think you're a fan of the franchise, as am I. What is? What are your thoughts on part four? Uh, I love every single Friday the 13th movie ever made. They're my all-time favorite horror franchise, and it could do no wrong in my eyes. I mean, send them on a boat to Manhattan, fight a psychic. This is definitely one of the best. I'm a big believer in Corey Feldman. So I just, I'm fascinated by Corey Feldman and the fact that he has such a pivotal role in a pivotal Friday the 13th movie. Like he gives the performance of the movie here. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, the guy's got got talent. It's just funny that it's Corey Feldman. Yeah. Yeah. What's he doing in a Friday the 13th movie, let alone giving us one of the most, the weirdest endings they never go back to? Yes. And I I will, will, will get to that i think that probably fairly soon we might as well start with him here so uh basically okay so jason gets out of he's supposed to be dead but he's actually still alive somehow and uh he comes back they they solidify this in later chapters a bit more as to why jason keeps coming back from the dead like this and then he goes back to camp crystal lake and he's kind of dealing with there's these two cabins and one is a single mom and her daughter uh where they're having the mother-daughter issues but basically a good kid and then the yeah, younger she's, brother, she's never had an impure thought in her life and then this young, younger brother played by Corey feldman who is very interested in making these horror masks and is very good at it and then the usual group of teenagers who come up to party and then the older girls kind of fascinated by them and kind of wants to join them and then Jason Voorhees starts attacking them and it's supposed to be the final one and because it was supposed to be the final one Tom Zafini came in to do the makeup and he said he kind of wanted to finish off properly aged the character he so famously created but of course license to print money there's gonna be more movies after this final chapter and then what they do with the Corey Feldman character after that is a conversation for another day but there is real potential in what you're describing as a bizarre last moment where this boy has shaved his head and made himself look like young Jason and how he knows that 
And we never, we never find out. Yeah, I'm, I'm again. I'm not sure. And <laughs> if we're gonna fight the movie, yeah, we're gonna we're always gonna win with any one of these. But I think that somewhere in there, somebody was setting up this idea that Jason is now dead, but we're going to continue on with Friday the 13th. But now it's going to be this boy Mm -hmm. is the next killer because he's had this, he snapped because now he is killed. And I think there was real potential in that idea. And it just is an ending that leaves you feeling uncomfortable. I mean, almost as impactful as that that last scene in the first Friday the 13th. I, I do want to talk about, though, Crispin Glover, (laughs) That is probably the, the, arguably the greatest dance moves ever outside of maybe Saturday Night Fever that you will ever see in a movie. And apparently this is how Crispin Glover would would dance for real. He He was dancing like that in clubs all over the States. It it worked well for his character who him and his buddy and he's, he's so desperate to have sex. And his buddy bugs him about, oh, he's, he's not, you know, women won't, won't, won't have a good time with them or whatever. And then that gets turned around and somehow they, they made the, uh, like the line of victims. They gave him a few more character beats. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it was just because it was Crispin Glover uh, or not, because he later like, you know, George McFly, and then famously walked away from that series and then did those David Lynch films. And he's just Willard. He's just one of these very weird, unusual actors. That's always a pleasure to see in anything. Uh-huh. And this was when not a lot of people knew him, but I, I really, really enjoyed his contribution to the film. And I quite liked the characters, but Tommy Jarvis is the heart and soul of this film uh-huh. and the battle with him and, and Jason towards the end. And uh, it's, it's great. One, one thing about the morality of the Friday the 13th films, and yet I keep running into this when I watch them, is the, the rule was if they drink, do drugs, or have premarital sex, then Jason's going to get them, right? Mm-hmm. This is all as much as the Republican Party railed against these horror movie characters, but they re- he was really enforcing their morality throughout these films in the 80s. There are some characters that don't drink, don't do drugs, and don't have sex that get off. There's um, there's one one of the one of the twins mm-hmm. doesn't. There's that hippie who's a hitchhiker who just gets gets killed uh, for mm-hmm. no reason, and kind of like uh, the girl at the beginning of the first Friday the Thirteenth. And then and then spoilers for the movie, but what what does Tommy's mother do to? deserve being killed as well anyway i just wanted to point that out just because i people always think that all of these characters do things that they you know shouldn't but i guess it to me again i mentioned the kind of the lazy clip show at the beginning it seems lazy now but if they really thought they were wrapping it up i appreciate the clip show at the beginning i still don't i don't i don't it's it's okay it's dumbing things down for your audience, assuming they don't have a brain in their head and they can't sort of keep track of like this was these movies were one year after another. Mm-hmm. It isn't like you have to wait 20 years since the last Jason Voorhees adventure there. You it was last year you saw this. Mm-hmm. But I guess they're just banking on some people will it's like the previously on things that they do for TV show. I, I again the sleazy coroner and then why would he choose to make out in this room full of corpses with this nurse. I, and why is it that in all of these movies, the hospital's suddenly empty? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've 
when I've been in a hospital, it's busy. There are people in every single corner tripping over each other. But there's always this, I mean, again, this is me early in the movie because my arms are crossed because of the clip show, fighting it. And after a while, just once we got past that segment, I relaxed and, and I, I, I had a good, uh, a good time. I, I would say that like kind of the I, the end moment with the hair and which is quite obviously like a skull cap with some hair. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, that's the only time I saw some false notes and some like I saw Corey Feldman acting a bit. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, he seems like a kid of that age. I mean, they have and I know they 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 protected him from some of the sex and the nudity in the film. Yeah. When he was filming, but that bit where he's looking across at the neighbor who's getting undressed and all that, I mean, all of that stuff felt very real. He didn't feel like he was a guy acting a kid. He felt like a, a real kid in those scenes. And that's not that easy to do. That mm-hmm. means it's well-directed. Joseph Zito uh, did this chapter and I think was one of the better directors for a Friday the 13th film. So it's, you know, for me, it's it's mostly a love fest for this one. And, and maybe it was because it's so different from the other ones we're looking at. It felt like just such a relief to just put my brain on hold so much. And and just enjoy what I was watching. When that girl goes and uh, goes skinny dipping and then crawls on the raft. Yeah. One of my favorite kills where she gets the spear from below that goes through the raft and through her. I guess getting the lighting for that was impossible. And that poor girl was in the freezing cold water for like hours to the point where is it's Kane, right? Still this one, Kane Hooter, Hutter. No, no, it wasn't. Who was I mean, this guy? Yeah, this guy was a stunt man. He was actually quite a bit older. He was one of the older Jasons. Well, whoever it was actually like stopped and was like, "We need to get this girl out of the water. Like, I'm not doing any more takes. You're like, she's gonna get hypothermia." And I guess it was a big thing on set. But he's quite proud of putting his foot down all these years later because I guess the actress was starting to, you know, display visible signs of not being well. Good for him. The gentleman's name is Ted White. He played Jason in this one. So mm. anyway, it sounds like uh, I, I, again. You know, it, it may not be the deepest movie we talk about, but when the points come around, it, this was a, a real good time for me. And so I uh, I would never steer people away if, unless they don't like horror movies, and then none of these movies are going to work for you. But I wouldn't steer people away from uh, any of the Friday the 13th. But I think 4 is one of the strongest entries. They wanted to see something different, but something different saw them first. The Hills Have Eyes. Mister, don't take your family back in that area. The silver has been gone for 40 years now. Besides, there's nothing back in there but animals. A lot. The old creep told you not to get off the road. What began as a vacation ended as a nightmare. Be hell to pay now. That was bad. She thought she knew what the world was all about, but nothing prepared her for this. The hills have eyes. Oh, you go with my baby. Yeah, away, Dick. A mother fighting for her child loses it in the worst possible way. I hit him with a tire iron and I split his face wide open. That was a bad mistake. I come back for you later, girlie. Why are you doing this? 
the story of an American family who lost everything except the will to survive. Murdered, raped, burned, but not beaten. The Hills Have Eyes, the story of one family's refusal to die. I'm going to get those animals. The Hills Have Eyes, a night of terror, a day of vengeance where no one was spared. No one. Kill the babes! Kill me! They fought back. Anything was a weapon. A family dog to the family car. It's the Hills Have Eyes, the most shocking, terrifying film you will ever see by Wes Craven, writer and director of The Last House on the Left. The Hills Have Eyes, the lucky ones died first. I came to a few horror movies a little bit late, late in life. And I mean, I always, of course, Wes Craven was always the man because of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And then for me, Scream as well. And then had all of these other movies, which I didn't see. But and, and I at this point where I, I ended up buying some of his early films and I they had been remade. And I always thought, well, I should be seeing the originals or uh, the, the remakes of uh, The Last House on the Left and The Hills of Eyes. And then I, I was, I was kind of shocked at how low budget or kind of cheesy and campy they appeared to be. And I think that was the barrier the first time I saw The Hills Have Eyes. I don't think I had that great a time with this movie the first time. And it didn't, it didn't scare me, it just more annoyed me. And I remember us talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well, and kind of a similar type of thing. But the premise is solid. I mean, this family decides to take a shortcut uh, down a, an area that they, they shouldn't. They are warned by a gas station owner and attendant not to go down that road, but they do it anyway. And they find themselves in a very dangerous situation. And in this case, because Wes Craven and the thing you kind of like about him early on is he didn't know the rules because of he wasn't allowed to watch movies when he was growing up. So he he just went to the ultimate extreme with his first two films. They happen to encounter a family of cannibals and they are hunted and stalked by by these people the acting ranges are from not very good to quite strong uh, but as it happens i mean this was a big break for two horror icons uh d wallace who would later be eat you know uh the mom from et but also uh in cujo and and many other horror movies and is still working today and showing up in the odd movie here or there and uh michael berryman who is one of the most if you don't know the name you will know the face and he's basically the face of on the cover of any version of this film he has a very unusual some sort of a, a disease where his sweat glands aren't there and he can't sweat and you know it's led to this strange coloring and this baldness or whatever uh apparently like this was a real tough shoot for everybody because 
they were out in a real desert shooting on location and it was over 100 degrees Fahrenheit all the time and it was just very hot and uncomfortable which probably added to uh, the performances. Dee Wallace is kind of this uh, secondary character in the family who her and her husband go off and have this sex scene at one point which leads to you know trouble for them late in the, the film but they're good and there's a few good characters in there there's one guy who i could not get out of my head he looked so much like nicholas cage <laughs> he would take me out of the movie like uh you know what i'm talking about the mm -hmm. uh the one like son-in-law just the the level of psychological torture of this family is uh a level all right i mean he knew what what he was doing there is and there seems to be a thing in his early films there is a rape scene i think the rape scene is horrible, but it's not. It doesn't feel as exploitative as it as the rape sequences in the last house on the left do. It's it's a hard R film, and that's where there's so many things that make me feel uncomfortable with this one. But I think in in a good way, and maybe it's sort of the hard R capital H horror balance where it's it could be on the verge of exploitation like like antichrist or my argument would be last house on the left sort of is but it, it he's that he's another film into it and he is starting to hone his craft a little bit more he's not quite there yet this was made for absolutely no money and there's points where you can tell it was made for no money but he shows a bit more restraint but he still has plenty of awful things that happen to this family. But they, they do fight back. And <clears throat> there's a memorable dog. And kind of the hero of the movie. Yeah. Bites off Berryman's foot. And it is legitimately gory. That has a very strange follow-up in the sequel to this movie, which a lot of people dislike. I have some weird, I don't know, going in with the right attitude on the right day when I saw Hills of Eyes 2. But it's not as good a, a movie as this because there's some really bizarre beats in there. But... All that to say, I like it a lot more than the first time I saw it, but it's low-budget 70s, and there's points where, to me, it feels very low-budget 70s. And I was happy to... This is one where, I, when I heard the backstory and the supplementary materials, it helped me appreciate what they were able to accomplish given the conditions they were in and how difficult it would have been. This is like a notch above a bunch of friends getting together over a few weekends to make... Uh, make their movie, right? Mm -hmm. And it is a movie that has lasted and a lot of people would consider one of the best horror movies of the 1970s. So probably the remake is a, <clears throat> is a better made film because it had more of a budget connected to it. I like them both almost equally, but I get why people like this, but I still am a little bit in the, it's very good, but not great category. There's some pretty bad, again, independent films. So maybe I'm be picking on a movie I shouldn't be picking on some bad post-production audio. There's these sounds that the, 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 like the family are making, these animal sounds, which don't, they sound very fake. Uh, there's this one sequence where the father is being stalked and there's this narration that's going on, which I didn't think needed to happen at all. And I, I guess it's made, to make us feel uncomfortable, it was just kind of, it, it took me out of the, the, the movie. Weird energy, energy shifts. There's this, big monologue of exposition where the gas station owner this old man and we kind of figure out the pieces of like what's kind of led to these, these characters <laughs> uh, all of a sudden he gets attacked and then there's this huge calm sequence before the body is found like some of the rhythms of it were mm -hmm. not completely successful but yeah I, again the other things i have down here are negatives are it's very nitpicky i suppose 
and and maybe that's what I was stuck on the first time. But I, I get why people like it. But this isn't my go-to horror movie. If I'm going to watch a Wes Craven, I'm going to look at something from the 80s or 90s from him mm-hmm. more than uh, The Hills Have Eyes or his first film, That Was on the Left. So had you seen this one before? I had not. This was actually well, this something was that I never avoided it. It was just never available to me. I mean, this isn't on any streaming service. No. I didn't know anyone who have it. I never stumbled across it. I mean, the... Uh, as funny as it sounds, the library has an incredible horror section. Yeah. And I never found it there. It's just, uh, I always heard that it has one of the most disturbing rape scenes. So I never really went out of my way to find it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I got to see this movie. It's just, it was kind of one of those like, yeah, I'll, I'll see it one day. So I'm glad you finally gave it to me to watch. And it also made me a little sad that long gone are the days of incredible packaging because the Blu-ray you gave me has like the booklet and the... Yeah postcards and like a book about it just amazing stuff. all kinds of stuff with this one yeah i liked it though like it uh it very very reminded me of last house on the left the way it was shot and the pacing and sorry you hit me with a lot of information there you said wes craven didn't watch movies growing up was that yeah he, he was he came from a very religious family um i think he was allowed to watch some disney stuff and that, yeah. that was about it he was never allowed to watch anything like that was beyond a, like a jeet. And then he went off and kind of changed his morality, separated from his family and went to college. Uh, he was, you know, studied some, some different things, but then he ended up in this interest in filmmaking and they just started making films and he just didn't know that mm-hmm. he, he just went for it. And when it sort of became like horror movies were the thing and kind of maybe a little repressed sexuality or something where he, that's where he would go with these really extreme scenes, which I could argue are exploitative. And I, I mean, this is a movie I, this is where I would have trouble recommending the Hills have eyes from 1977. Both are tough. Like the remake is a, is a, is a tough film as well. And horrifying film, but I would have a lot of trouble recommending this to just anybody without Mm -hmm. giving some trigger warnings just the world we're in now, you know, there was a time Fair. we would just recommend things to people and wouldn't worry about Well, knowing that answers a lot of my questions I had about this and The Lost House on the Left, because, yeah, I can't, I watched both of these and I was like, is he just this weird, ahead of his time genius, or does he just really not know how movies are put together? Yeah. I <laughs> and, think and I just- think... A lot of people just are like, you know, like I'm connecting the dots for it. I'm like, okay, whoa, I, mm, wow, that's, I don't know what to make of that. But if he just was kind of making it up as he went along, I mean, props to him because I, I remember I, I did like Last House on the Left a lot more. And like is in quotations where that movie just like burned my retinas. It made me feel so much ickier than I think anything I've ever seen. And then suddenly there's that part of the two cops. It's like Benny and Hill or Benny Hill. They're like, Oh. and they run into each other and fall over yeah. and you're just like what am i watching to have that scene followed by that like rape Those scene it's just so uncomfortable so uncomfortable. very very strange shifts in tone like i mm-hmm. when he had a bigger budget and he kind of figured things out kind of from nightmare on i mean i think you know he, he figured it out he came a, and the other kind of part of the tragedy from he wanted to make serious films he wanted mm-hmm. to make the oscar bait movies I mean, Music of the Heart was the only one that was kind of completely that way. He didn't really want to be known as a horror movie director. Yeah. But 
that's where the money was. That's where, like, after a few years of trying different things that wouldn't work out, he always, always ended up going back to it. And he, hopefully he kind of accepted that. I mean, he'll, he'll always be remembered. He'll be part of, the, like, this group of four or five great horror directors. Absolutely. In that, that era. But sometimes it's yeah. tough to watch the evolution. And, and he wasn't, to me... He wasn't quite there yet. However, I know people that love this film and celebrate it. It's, it's, sometimes when you see that early work from these filmmakers and you're like, oh, I just love this way more than I probably should. This one is, I like it. I can see where he was going with it in the potential in the story. I, I, I find some aspects of the end of the film a little bit of a mess. And there's, if you watch on that disc, there's a alternate ending. Oh, I didn't see that. The alternate ending takes most of, this, most of the same events from the end and reworks them. I think, except for one thing, the alternate ending is a better ending for the film. It just logically made more sense. Yet they had this very strange kind of sitcomish happy ending, which didn't quite work. And then this strange mm -hmm. clip show of uh, of all of the actors who had been in it. That again, wrong movie uh, for for that. This wasn't like a I don't know like a John Hughes comedy or something mm -hmm. like that. So it I think that. This is one where there are, things could be reworked, and I don't always like the remakes, but I can understand why this was remade. And I think I've grown to appreciate the remake a little bit more because I think I saw the remake first, and then I saw this, and I've watched it twice now, and I've gone. It's something like I've watched this three times, and I've watched the uh, the remake twice, and I, I I like the remake a little bit more now just because it's so clear and the intention behind telling the story in a more professional way here they were just guys that they, they they like literally went out to the desert trying to find a location for the film and they just had no money to to work with and they got this group of actors and this crew and they went out there in the heat and they sweated it out and they made the best movie they could at the time and so for sure you have to admire that so as much as <laughs> Things where I sound negative on it or a little bit mixed, kind of like I did with Antichrist. I, uh, it, you just have to admire a group of people that are that committed to making a movie and making a movie that's going to disturb you and scare you. And I think it is successful in that. I think I would have liked it a lot more, and I did like it. I was really happy I watched it. Uh, I think it was very much overhyped for me because mm -hmm. I was watching it like, you know, like, oh, God, oh, God, this is like people swear this is one of the most disturbing movies they've ever seen. So I was like, eh, eh. And if I hadn't seen Last House on the Left, I think I would have liked it a lot more. But I was constantly going back to Last House on the Left going, this is the same random tone. And Last House did it better. And I, I don't know how comfortable <laughs> it is knowing they cast someone with, like, legitimate physical, you know, abnormalities to play the mutant. It's like, um, you know, but, but he's an actor. He's an actor. Yeah. Work, right? Yeah. No, I, I know, but I was like, you know, yeah. I, yeah. And, and he himself is comfortable with it. You yeah. Know? Didn't yeah. feel like he was used in any way. It wasn't. No, like, I, I, I know. People but... in the Wizard of Oz or something like that. <laughs> right. like he went on to. He showed up in a lot of movies, and it shows up in like John Hughes' Weird Science, which isn't a movie I like that much, but mm -hmm. he, he has this kind of good. Does he ever? Does he ever play the romantic lead? I haven't seen it, but okay. he he is he's considered a horror movie legend, and this this was what got him to that place, and so I yeah, think good for him. He got him more work, so yeah, Michael Berryman, I, I and I think he does a good job with that role. 
Whereas a lot of the rest of the cannibal family, they're just so over the top. It's kind of like that. There's the one uh, who's redeemed a little bit. She knows that, uh, you know, uh, kidnapping and uh, eating the baby is wrong and goes and yeah. saves the baby. Yes, that's something that happens in this movie. They kidnap the baby and they are preparing to eat the baby. Again, uh, which is something that would never happen in movies. Too. If you're a West Craven completist, you have to check this one out. For sure. So, yep. I just want to tell you something. What do you want to tell me? You are my girl. I love you, Jimmy. What is that? It's okay, there's nothing here. I haven't heard a dog bark or a car pass. Nothing. Intro. I had uh, I've been was hinting a little bit that there's this movie that I've watched multiple times, and there's always some moment where I actually get scared, and I just don't experience this anymore. It's probably because it's a relatable situation. I described I'll go for the weekend up to Lake, where I am the only person, like in when it's not summer, where I am the only person. I am very vulnerable, and that kind of idea is exploited beautifully in The Strangers, written and directed by Brian Bertino. I hadn't really clocked this filmmaker that that much and still haven't really, but this one to me was a home run. I'll probably be gushing about this one. And I just kind of regret in some ways that I didn't fully understand that wh- how much this was head and shoulders above. Like this should have been in my top 10 or maybe my top five horror movies on that show. And I had kind of mixed it up and forgotten about it and it left it off that list this young couple have gone to uh as we discover have been at this wedding and unfortunately uh in a big romantic gesture uh canadian scott speedman playing the the lead here has decided to ask his uh, girlfriend Liv 
Tyler uh, to marry him. And she has said no. And then they have to go back. They have to go to this house where he has arranged this very romantic night, rose petals in the bathtub, candle at dinner, champagne, the whole thing. But with this, this heavy tension. And that's where we start. And then kind of as they're trying to figure out what to do and he's calling his buddy to come and give him a ride and you know said you know i just can't stay together for the night type of thing they get this strange knock on the door and that knock on the door it happens multiple times but when it happens sitting comfortably in the same place where i am recording this right now on this couch watching on tv having watched it multiple times I still jumped and there's this girl saying that there's been a car accident and can I use your phone? And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where a stranger rings the doorbell and it just seems a little bit off. And this is apparently based on this idea that happened to the writer director when he was a kid, when somebody rang the doorbell and then when, and when they wouldn't let, the person in and then they found out afterwards that there were a ton of break-ins in his neighborhood that happened that night and this is a what if they kept showing up and we do not see their faces we have no idea why they are doing this it does not appear to be for financial reasons like like a typical break-in and we are watching this couple completely helpless far away from anyone and every time they try to use a cell phone or something happens there is a very legitimate obstacle put in their place and they are trying together to, they have to come together despite and forget everything that's happened before to try to survive the night. And the ending of this film is devastating. The ending of this film is creepy beyond all belief. And I, I have to admit, every time I see the strangers, I have to take a few moments and do something else before I go to bed because as safe and secure as I, I know I am where I live, I'm just thinking, what if? What if something like this happened? I might go on the record saying this is the best home invasion movie of all time. And this is a movie that doesn't get, it isn't one of the ones that's thought of or talked about a whole lot. So I was thrilled to be able to do this show so I could talk about The Strangers and let more people know that they have to check out this movie. This is one of Liv Tyler's best performances scott speedman who isn't used a whole lot he ended up in the david cronenberg movie this year uh i haven't seen him for years but you know i we were doing a missing persons thing for him before because he hasn't been in a lot of stuff it's good to see him acting again uh and he does a good job with her but this is i i, I like all films i have a couple nitpicky things here and there but i love this movie it's music is is creepy they use this country music song they use a record player they use every square inch of this house to full effect and yeah. use this location and this isolation beautifully. Like this is, this is to me what remote horror should be. And uh, many movies try and they just don't do it as well as the strangers. So it's going to be a love fest for me on you know, the strangers. Was this a first viewing for you? No, this is the second time I saw it and I liked it better this time. Yeah. And uh, I, there's not a lot of flaws, but it, it didn't, uh, it didn't electrify me like it did you. And no. nothing, nothing you said is untrue. I have no issue with it. it. And I remember watching it the first time too, where like I watched it and I was super into it. It was, I had a great, you know, I had a great watching experience and my heart was pounding but then after it ended i was just like eh, there wasn't much of a takeaway and the same thing with this time and you know what it is it's that the couple 
never got one of the three. I think that's the flaw. I would have been so much more invested, and I know you're going to disagree with me, if they would have at least got one of them and and raised the raised the stakes a little more for the antagonists. But it was just so one-sided that, again, great ending, absolutely heartbreaking. It's a very strong ending for a franchise that rarely has strong endings. But I was just like, it was, you know, they, they needed they needed a victory to usher in the third act, I think. I think that's what hurts this movie. Liv Tyler, I have come to respect her so much. She was in that, uh, I can't remember the name, it was that HBO, it only did three seasons, uh, about people who suddenly like got like 2% of the population just disappeared. The Leftovers? Leftovers, yeah. I thought she was amazing in that. And going back and watching this, I was like, yeah, she is an absolute top-notch actress. And I loved a lot of this movie, but yeah, I just, yeah, it, it needed, it needed one extra part for it to be absolutely great for me. And I think they should have, they should have killed at least one of the three to just even it out a little bit more. That's my opinion. I go back to a couple of earlier themes we talked about, and maybe it's part of somehow in my personality that I, I, I was later on getting into horror and it was through literature and then later, you know, more in my teenage years into adulthood. And I always thought like horror needs to be horrific. You know, and perhaps that's why Antichrist worked on me the first time and the first couple times where I was kind of had respect for how bleak and dark and and brutal everything is. And going back to Wes Craven, where he's like going to such extremes with what he was doing, I can kind of, you know, understand how he got into that, like going over the line and then and then some, but it's effective. Like you remember those films mm-hmm. that remember to this day, whether you're entertained or like them is a completely different thing here. I think I have a bit more respect for the horror movies where, again, spoilers for this one, people should check it out, but we've already kind of hinted at it, that where the, the villains win. And what makes it even more frightening is like, I still don't know. I mean, there, there's this line, why did you do it towards the end of the film? Because you were home. What a horrible, if they had not been home, if they had still been at that wedding mm-hmm. reception or they'd gone somewhere else, then none of this would have happened. But because that's the only hint we have as a motivation for why they did this. I get the sense that they have done this a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're pros at it. And there was no chance, no chance for, for, for this couple. Mm-hmm. So I get why you were kind of hoping that they would get a win somewhere. And the thing that is like insult to injury for this couple is that we, we have a Doc Holleran type of a character. If you, you know, the, the, the guy from The Shining, even though it's in The Shining movie, it's different than the book, who travels across the United States to go back to rescue the Torrance family and then shows up right away. And we're like, Oh, okay. They're going to be saved and killed immediately. All right. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, that's Scott Speedman's buddy, Mike. But the way that, that we kind of know that it's not going to work out that neatly for them. This guy is doomed because he doesn't completely know what he's walked into, but how he gets killed is yes. so brutal. It is yep. so brutal and so torturous how, how that happens. And it's just, oh, And man. I, I know, I know it is, so it, is, it is not the fault of the people who made the movie. 
but the fact that that's Dennis from Always Sunny in Philadelphia is going to oh, take okay. anyone, anyone out of that scene for a few minutes. Yeah, I and haven't. Again, I, have, I haven't watched that show. Believe it or not, I mean that's a big. I know that's been a big show over the last fifteen years, and I have not watched it. Uh, that is my favorite so, comedy of all time. So, so that would have. I can see why that would take you out of the movie completely. I don't have that history with it where... It just took me out for a second. It, yeah. The movie is well done. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on it. And as I was watching it, I didn't have that theory of like, oh, it really needs, it really needs, like, the, the couple need to get a little win. I never thought that during the movie. But then after it ended, it was just like, huh. You're not feeling good after it. But for, it sounds like for you, it was just like, okay, I'm moving on with my life. For yeah. me, I... Hours afterwards, I am. Uh, it's still on my mind. That's a, good for Almost you. Also, the next day, and and that this is a very subjective thing. That's maybe from an emotional point of view why I'm giving this movie perhaps more credit. I, I don't know. It just says no, it's, it's a good. It's a good movie. I will because I always like to balance. If I'm going to be ragging on a movie, I want to mention some positives. If I'm going to be gushing about a film, I want to mention some of my notes. Some of the. the the, the criticisms I have, and I did have a few. Like the villains who appear and disappear and kind of time leap, again, that's a little bit of cliche-ish. It doesn't make a ton of sense. There's a scene where Scott Speedman, is, he's he's going into the car and is he getting a gun or something like that? And then one of the characters like touches his neck. And then when he turns around, that, that character is gone. There's nowhere to be seen. And I'm just like, eh, no, I, I'm not buying that. I, I thought the jump scares, I mean, you could, if you've seen movies like this, you can see them coming a mile away. And they are they are fake scares, but they are effective enough. I, I don't know if I'm fine with the movie. Is there enough time for them to write, you know, killer on the window? That, that, one, that one part. And there's one sequence where the editing didn't make a ton of sense. Like Liv Tyler is in that shed. And then it looks like she's kind of, she's, She's kind of screwed, and then she gets out of it, and suddenly she's then quietly crawling around in the grass. And I, I don't know. It seems like there's something missing from that that bit there. Something on the cutting room floor. I might argue that Liv Tyler doesn't fight back a whole lot. Scott Speedman does a bit, but and some, and again, it's kind of the modern reading of it. I know this has now been several years since this movie came out, but mm. I think most movies now will try to have female characters fight back a little bit more. Like she's trying to like do it through making phone calls with her cell phone, but gets runs into obstacles that way. That was just something in the back of my mind this time is that like she doesn't, she's not able to do a whole lot to to fight back or protect herself. Mm-hmm. She's a little bit a little bit to do towards the end, but it's. Uh, way too late at that point tyler has some great screams like she could be a scream queen mm-hmm. but some of the screams were maybe not that necessary like she gets dragged into that room kind of before the last scene and she screams and i thought that was a little bit of a false moment because it, it makes it seem like okay she screams she's just about to die and then we see them both tied up to the chair but that's all nitpicking okay but that's just me trying to be fair with my review here <laughs> That's pretty nitpicky. <laughs> yeah, it's very nitpicky stuff. I mean, the, just the overall creepy feeling I get. I just, I kind of regret I didn't revisit it enough and 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 put it on that list. So this is my chance on my show to make up for it, and you'll you'll notice that in the points uh, when distribution from my end of things is that I all, all good, buddy. All good. I great group of films that we have here, but I this one has jumped up and nice. is a level to me. So.
Okay, you've had your fun. I'll give you one more chance. And if you don't clear out now, there'll be real trouble. I mean it. This is David Sumner. All his life, he's been running away, turning his back on trouble, involvement, and confrontation. Until now. Five men out there. I know that. He took his wife and fled to an English country town. There was once a time, Mrs. Sumner, when you were ready to beg me for it. Take your hands off me. What's he doing? Hmm? Hmm? He's an animal. He thought he could find peace and refuge. Instead, he found that a man can't hide forever. I care. This is where I live. I will not allow violence against this house. Sam Peckinpah, who uncaged the Wild Bunch, now unleashes Dustin Hoffman in Straw Dogs. Speaking of movies that are hard to find, I would always hear about these Dustin Hoffman movies because I became a fan pretty early in my movie geekdom of Dustin Hoffman. And there were all these ones he did in the 70s that I hadn't been able to see and couldn't find. And Straw Dogs was a movie that was remade. And I would always be looking up a way to get Straw Dogs, but I would always run into uh, the remake, which was set in the United States in the South. And it actually is a pretty good remake. You know, uh, it, it, it served its purpose. But that was the only version I could ever see. And eventually Criterion came out with uh, the Straw Dogs. But it was it was very difficult to find. It wasn't just anywhere. So I was so happy to finally get my hands on Straw Dogs a few years ago. And it's directed by just a, a guy I wish I had access to more of his movies, Sam Peckinpah. He, he made, to me, one of the best Westerns of all time, The Wild Bunch, an incredibly violent film. He is a director who every single gunshot, every single kill in a film, he makes his audience feel it. And as a result, was a very controversial American director. And then he went over to do this film, Straw Dogs, in this uh, nice little English town and took this uh, book Took some liberties with the book, for sure, and uh, made this film. I guess there were a lot of extras from the village that were in the movie, and they had no idea what movie he was making and were upset after the fact when they realized what this was. Essentially, this young American played by Dustin Hoffman, he's an intellectual, he's working, uh, he's on sabbatical as a professor and doing some research in math, and he's married this uh, young-looking English wife, and he comes back to rural England to the town that she grew up in for this, and the town notices him and her right away, especially all of the men mm -hmm. notice her, and part of it is because she, you know, walks through. This is not her fault and anything that happens to her. I'm not saying that this was something she brought on, but in the, the first scene of the film, she walks through the village uh, with no bra on, and we see everybody staring at her, and then this nerdy, American guy and and they have some very blue-collar working-class people are doing work on this house for them and they all are uh, very attracted to his wife and there's a very specific definition in this 
community of what a man is and what masculinity is. And that's not what Dustin Hoffman's character is. And it's interesting how the events of the movie drive him and make him into the kind of man that they think he is supposed to be. They torture, but in very, with smiles and supposed kindness, initially they torture this man and his wife and... This has a much, I would say, more graphic and more exploitative rape scene than in um, in uh, The Hills of Eyes. Very disturbing. The other piece about it, which makes it, I guess, more complex than the American remake. Well, this was American too, but but the, the more modern remake. Is that this couple are not likable people. Dustin Hoffman is a real jerk and he is horrible to his wife. And, and she is not... Uh, she's not a very nice person either. And they both, no. they, they're in a dysfunctional marriage. I mean, this isn't mm-hmm. the only dysfunctional marriage we've looked at in, in these uh, the films. It's interesting. We bookended Antichrist in, in this movie because uh, both both their marriages in a, in a tough place, but they're trying to make it seem like they're a little bit more together than they are. So it is tough to cheer, cheer for the people in the village. It's tough to cheer for this couple. And so you have a bunch of unlikable characters, which might be the thing that turns off people, the straw dogs. We also have how the town treats a developmentally delayed man who everybody sees as this pedophile. He plays, he's Henry. And he factors heavily into the third act of the film. And then we, we have this uh, girl in the village who sees how Amy, Susan George's character, how she operates in, in, and she's gone off to America and she's coming back with this exotic husband and all this. And so I want to be just like her and starts to act like her. And this and she kind of flirts with Dustin Hoffman in, in, in some scenes. And then kind of late in the film, after Hoffman kind of ignores her at this church event, she goes off with this man. And just kind of how that got, that character is treated is is interesting, but how that becomes kind of the, the step over the line for Dustin Hoffman. And it's also interesting, he kind of doesn't, like he, he doesn't know necessarily that his wife has been assaulted by her ex-boyfriend and this other and this other man and and yet he's he he's talking about like what a good person does and and what is right and what is wrong and he thinks he's kind of standing up for for the good here i think it's it's a complicated film that i'm still trying to get my head around i don't think it's one that a lot of i can recommend to a large number of people unless they're interested in the filmography of Sam Peckinpah, or they're interested in like seeing a very different type of role and character from Dustin Hoffman. He admitted at one point he doesn't like incredibly violent films to be in them, but he at that point did, did this movie for the money. And Peckinpah was nearly fired from this project. He had was I don't know if you could say he was functional or dysfunctional alcoholic, but he uh, yeah th- there were points where he was going to be removed or he would disappear from the film. There were a lot of difficulties in making this, but it it came together. Uh, and I, I think it's just because it's it's a little bit of a rare film, so it's not what I imagined it would be from all those years of waiting to see it. But it's not a disappointment. But I think it's one that requires multiple viewings to kind of get my head around. And I'm still kind of wrestling with it a little bit. 
but extreme violence, the rape, all of that, but also like the climax of the film, a lot of gun violence and you feel it. And it's almost the, the Western mentality. It's almost he wanted to, to bring that Western idea into this little village. The other thing that's kind of interesting is an early statement by one of the villainous characters saying to Dustin Hoffman, oh, you come from America. It's very violent over there in America, isn't it? Yes, but there's a lot of violence and insidious behavior towards outsiders in this village. And they think they own this woman and uh, that they need to put her back in line and they need to get rid of this guy by whatever means necessary. And they need to get rid of anybody who is othered or different in their town. Mm -hmm. And that includes poor Henry, who if he so much as talks to a female, then somebody is there, either they're going to beat him up or somebody says, you can't do that. Like, get get, get away. Mm-hmm. And he, he can't help himself. Yet, I, I don't know if we're supposed to feel sorry for this guy because of what ultimately he does towards the mm-hmm. end. If he's to be, be like a, a Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Or is he exactly what the town says he is because of what ultimately happens when, when they leave that uh, that church event. So it, it's a fascinating movie to me. And it's one I want to revisit more and more. So that's where it's going to get some points for me. But I, I don't think it's like a, it's not like a good time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So was this a first watch for you? Because this is a pretty This was movie. a first watch for me. And I had heard about this movie and I had never had a chance to see it. Last time I was on this uh, podcast, you had made me rewatch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's funny that it, it all goes back to 99. In 1999, right around Blair Witch, I was going through a huge, huge horror. It was like my first horror like phase where I was renting seven movies, seven days, seven bucks, all horror. And I was just powering through that because I had so much time on my hands. And, you know, and uh, I remember watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre back then and I was just burnt out on horror and I didn't really like it. And then I watched it, what, like 20 years later? When you made me uh, watch it for the podcast, and I fell in love with it. It's one of my top three favorite horror movies now. And uh, cool. that kind of happened with Straw Dogs. I love this nice. movie, man. I nice. love this movie. Oh, this I'm was my biggest, biggest takeaway from doing this podcast with you. I thought Straw Dogs was excellent. Straw it Dogs is. succeeded where Antichrist failed. You had characters that you didn't like, but you were invested in them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I cared what happened to these characters. And uh, I didn't think she was that bad of a person compared to him their marriage sucked and every time she got mad at him she would you know not every time but she would you know she liked the attention from the dudes yeah and i thought that was a very like realistic you know like obviously like you said what happened to her she did not deserve but no. you know this was his fault if anything where he was just being like a jerk to her and she's like well you know i want to feel not so isolated yeah. So she would kind of do these little flirty things to the these manly men. I don't think she was really immune to that whole societal structure either, where she's like this nerd husband, you know, I'm doing everything I can. And he's just, he's being the person that the like rough macho guys are saying he is. So it was just, they, everything was butting heads. And I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great uh, character development for the husband to finally, like you said, become the guy that they were accusing him of not being and doing it better than them. I, I think like it was Susan George and, and, and like her, her character. I, I don't want to ever say anything that sounds like victim blaming. All right. Yeah, she, for sure. Her, she doesn't deserve. But I think she at the beginning of the film, she just has this confidence. Like she's mm-hmm. coming back and now she's a big shot. Like she's. Mm-hmm. She's married this important, intelligent man, and she has moved 
past them and sees yep. herself probably as being better than the people. But then she makes some choices like, okay, she's mad at, because uh, he's, he's needing to work and she's constantly trying to distract him from his work and screw things up for him. And then when she's upset, she goes to that open window and takes all of her clothes off to expose herself to the, you know, the four guys working on, yeah. on the roof there who have already been ogling her kind mm-hmm. of throughout. So Again, it's poking the bear a little bit. Yeah, I mean, sure. you know, she doesn't, they have no right to be ogling her or sexualizing her or any of those things. But she's from this place. She knows the players. She knows what she is doing. And I think she just has this idea that she is invincible at this point. One of the criticisms of the rape scene is uh, because they, on the supplementary materials, there's a lot of analysis of, of how Peckinpah directed her is that there there is a shot where it appears that she is enjoying this, mm-hmm. and that's that's where a lot of the criticism that's problematic. <laughs> yeah, it's problematic that this violent assault is something that yeah. you know she's aroused by, and you know it's very it's very it's very complicated. But the brilliance is like after that, like later on, like they've taken and they've abandoned, they promised they're going on this uh, pheasant hunting trip with, with Hoffman, which is, you know, they juxtapose that and him killing this bird with, with the rape scene, but it's all a way to sort of get him away from her so Mm -hmm. that vulnerable. Right. But what an uncomfortable scene when he comes home and they're having this conversation and all of this stuff has happened. And we know this and uh, it's like that dramatic irony, but but he doesn't know any yep. of that is happening. Right? I and mean, he's, he's so excited. He's so excited about his hunting trip. Yeah, it's and like sitting at the church talent show there and in the community thing and mm-hmm. she's seen all of people who have victimized her and then she wants to leave and it's it gets it gets very complex. But it's interesting mm-hmm. though, where where it's tough to get behind her is in the climax she wants to just send this man out yeah, to be that, be that is true by this mom, you know, mm-hmm. and that like is fighting against Hoffman at the end when he's doing the right thing. So he's been such a jerk, but he's absolutely right. This like this guy, he needs to be first of all taken to a hospital, and then maybe he needs to be taken by the police. But this town is not going to let they have their own brand of justice, and they're going to take care of it. And then this outsider that is protecting this character, you know, they can't live. So they're going to do everything to break into this house uh, to try to to remove him and possibly uh, kill off this husband as an added bonus. So, and he fights back. And in the last scenes of the movie, you, you're you're kind of left with, I, I suppose it's a happier ending than some of the ones we're talking about, but how happy is it actually? I just love the writing. I mean, yeah. I had no idea what to expect. It, yeah. it, it was unpredictable. And yeah, the, the two characters kind of changed places. Like she moved back home. She thought she was going to be this big deal. And nobody cared. It was like what made her special in America. Nobody cared there. And I think that was a blow to her ego, right? And over time, he was just like, whatever, I'm doing my thing. I'm still important here because I'm doing my work here. And so, yeah, she went to get attention elsewhere. And I thought that was very real. I mean, you know, nudity in horror movies is always like eye rolling 99% of the time. But it, uh, I was like, all right, yeah, it felt. It, it didn't feel forced in that scene, I thought, anyway, you know? And I think that was, like, the only scene of nudity, really. So, like, they picked and chose, well, or usually, like, you know, Friday the 13th. It's, like, every five minutes, right? Yeah. Is there more? I don't, I don't remember. I don't think it was gratuitous. I mean, it's she's brawless in the first yeah. scene. They're walking down, and then where she exposes herself to uh, the workers. And yeah, then, and that's, like, a huge part of the movie. 
there's um, a pretty intense sex scene, like when those, like the uh, the young girl and like they're they're watching through the window with, uh, yeah. with Austin, but that there isn't a really nudity in that one. No, it's, they're under the covers, uh, I think. Yeah, so and it's then, uh, towards it, the end. It, yeah, he's it he's just censors, his... They really did push the censors for the time and was was banned in uh, some places. Some people, some places mm-hmm. took out some scenes. I think even close. You know, in the UK, I think in Ireland, they had taken, they might have taken the rape scene out completely, and um, you, you sort, you sort of get it. But this was, this was the full original version of it that we're watching here, and I, I I'm conflicted with a couple things. It, it, it's one that sticks with me and makes me think. It doesn't necessarily scare me, but again, kind of like the Hills Have Eyes, I would give a trigger warning to people before they saw this. Definitely. Um, and I, I think this is another one I keep running into this with this this episode. One where it says very, very good, but I kind of want to love this movie. And I'm, I'm not completely over not the line yet. But I probably um, will watch it a second time before I return it. Because I yeah, really well, enjoyed it. I'm, and I'm the fact to- that it, it's Henry, right? The guy that they're protecting. Henry? Yeah, his name? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the name. Uh, the fact that he's ungrateful. <laughs> like, he tries to touch well, his he wife. He does everything wrong. In fact, he... He tries to to try to go at it with the guy's yeah. wife while he's trying to yeah. keep this guy alive, and so that's where I'm thinking. Like, yeah, he. Probably I thought that was just have the enemy. problem that they're talking about. Like, he's is he the guy that's worth right bridging I... die on? Well, for Hoffman, apparently it is. But whether it's this build up of all the things that have been done, and he's just he's had enough. He's like, I can protect somebody in my home if I want to, but yeah. it's interesting. Where... It's not his wife that he stands up for or protects but it's it's he's proven something to himself and that's kind of what that scene i thought pushed into like the closing moments where it's like it's not even about his wife anymore <laughs> it's not even about protecting this guy anymore because neither of them deserve it he's just like i'm gonna i'm gonna be this man that i didn't know i was till i went hunting i guess that was like the that was the birth of that idea in his mind that he could actually be like a macho guy and now that his back's against the wall he's he's uh he's gonna do it for probably the wrong reasons but again it made me think. I want to see it again. I just, I loved everything about it. And I think that that's the thing I get out of it is this definition of masculinity. And that's probably where Peck and Paw is a little bit more successful mm-hmm. is, is working with that. I'm not sure he and like the males who, who made the movie uh, were the most delicate people as far as dealing with like, you know, the, 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 the assault and, yeah. and all this. but where he was good as, is this notion of what, what makes a man, which Westerns off often would look at that as well. And, oh, you have to go out hunting and you have to kill animals. And that's a manly thing to do. You need to be at the pub every night. And if there's somebody you don't like, you get into a fight with them. That's what being a man is. Mm -hmm. And if you see a woman that you want, you take her because that's what a man does. Uh, So I think there's a lot of really interesting ideas in here. It'd be interesting to put this forward again with a lot of trigger warnings in some sort of a, a gender studies class or something like that. Oh, for sure. In all like the horror movies though that we've covered that have dealt with rape, they've all been like heavy moments that you're supposed to react that way to. Where how many movies in like the eighties, like action and comedy, were there like off screen rapes that were just completely dismissed? I really noticed that when I go back and watch movies from the eighties that it was just this thing that happened to the female characters that just didn't seem to have the weight, at least it's treated with in horror movies. So I don't know if that's a, a thumbs up for horror movies. Yeah. Compared to the yes. sexual assault of like 
just does yeah i i agree with that point it is treated as a serious moment and i just like the the characters don't know how to deal with it i mean they're and i, yeah. I think she's she's in a bad place and there's no real help or support that's given to her yep. after it's happened nor again, again the gender studies thing i would love to have more people weigh in where is it better to watch it graphically in cinema where it's weighted or to just have it off screen where it's not a big deal if you get a chance watch some of the the documentaries on the making of and that you know the kind of the described as kind of the feminism of that time take on the film the criticisms of it i think it's interesting information so cool. uh, again yeah, it sounds like we both two thumbs up for straw dogs I'm, I'm wrestling with it maybe a little bit more than you are but i'm seeing multiple viewings uh if it it grows more and more interesting for you. And I think it will. This late in my life, when I find a movie that actually challenges me, that was, you know, not some new crazy way of making movies. I'm i I'm a big fan, like something from the seventies that will give me that reaction. Hell yeah. And in my experience, it is movies, at least maybe for our generation, movies from the seventies were the best at that. Oils. Thought he was to be put away. Oh, we can take care of our own here. Usually do. Remember when I took care of you, Amy? But you didn't remember. So, Curtis Anderson, thank you for coming for a third round here. And hopefully it isn't going to be two years before we next get you on the show. So. I will always do horror movies. I mean, I'll do any movies, but uh, I'll be the most passionate about horror movies. So, first movie reviewed is Antichrist. I did not want to be the jerk. Has anybody given a negative rating and added points to a different one? Like, could I have given it a negative five? I, I tend to think like zero is the lowest I've ever. No, given. I know, I know. I was being facetious. I gave it a one, and that was just for the black and white scenes. I went in thinking I was going to hate the movie, and I tried so hard to shake it, but I ended up hating the movie. Yeah, Nothing yeah. had weight. Yeah. They threw some of the most disturbing images at me, and it didn't stick. I mean. The genital mutilation doesn't seem as heavy as when they tell that girl to pee her pants in Last House on the Left. And that is still one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And those aren't even comparable on paper, like in real life. But Last House on the Left, they knew what they were doing. And that's true horror. Antichrist was like the uh, jackass of horror to me. But not as funny. All right, so then we moved on, hopefully, to more positive territory of the Blair Witch Project for you. 20. Yeah. Home run. Personally, as a movie, as what it meant, and its place in pop culture. I actually had I had more. And then at the last minute, I was like, no, you know, Straw Dogs deserves a, uh, a few more points. Okay. So Blair Witch actually got knocked down to just a 20. Which is a, I mean, it's a third of the points there. So you, you know, I did, I did the right thing. Uh, Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. I gave that a 15. Always a good time. Not my favorite entry of Friday the 13th, but uh, it, it is what it is. And I can't, you know, I, I can't give it higher than a 15 of Blair Witch is a 20. <laughs> but I do enjoy it. It was fun. And I think I scored it. Had it not been buried in all these other dark, not fun movies, 
it may have been less, but it was a breath of fresh air out of these six. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure where it would fit for me, but I'll tell you in a second. Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes, the I, 1977 version. I gave it a five. Didn't didn't really resonate with me. That's not something I think I really need to... I'm, I might watch it again just because you said such good things about it, and maybe it deserves a second watch. But I just kept comparing it to Last House on the Left, which is something that, again, scarred me. So... Mm-hmm. It uh, it suffered under under that scrutiny, but people love it. The strangers. You're not gonna like this, but I also gave that a five. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't it doesn't have a, those two movies just don't have a strong desire to rewatch for me. And I don't know what it is. The Strangers did everything right. I love Dennis from Always Sunny, but I just, yeah, it. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what kind of mood I'd I'd be in to want to throw the Strangers on again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and that's probably where most people are were because it, it doesn't again it's not one of the ones that's mentioned from that time as much as but i feel bad because i really liked it i liked all the people in it it was a solid movie it was tense it like i said it hit all the notes everything you said about it was true but i just both times it ended and after enjoying it for however long it was both times as soon as it ended i was like huh all right just didn't didn't have that hook it needed for me i don't know movies hit people different ways in at different times here and straw dogs was your discovery of the? I, uh, I I and I don't want to sound like a jerk to <laughs> any of the listeners, but again, I got married when I was twenty, so like I've never really been isolated. You know what I mean? Like I can always hide behind my wife if people break in. <laughs> you know, I've 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 never, and I mean that's probably honestly what it is. I've never had that long stretch of being alone and living alone and having those fears. Like those just aren't my fears. Yeah. I'm always surrounded by people. Yeah. <laughs> and again, yeah. I'm not saying that to be a jerk. It's just how the how the cards were yeah. felt. You know? Yeah. Well, there were two of them, but just at an awkward moment in their lives, I guess, and was wasn't enough for, for these strangers. So uh, how many points do you give straw dogs? Fourteen. Which seems yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I yeah. I'm just gonna keep it like that. Again, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four really messes it up because it's such a different, such a different movie, and I'm such a fan of Friday the Thirteenth, all of them, that I have to score it high. But it, it does, it, it is, it is weird against the other five. You know, yeah, it's definitely it, apples and oranges. It, it's the odd one in there, you know, and there maybe could have been something else to be put in with this. This, it's fine. this I'm, I'm happy with my. to have one like that to quell the other. That's fair. The other heavy ones, so. As it happened. I'll go through my points here. Yeah, our points are very, very different. Uh, very different, which makes makes this fun. Yeah, I, I like Antichrist more than you do. Uh, so got a two. That I, I gave it nine points. Ooh. The Blair Witch Project, uh, I again, I, I went right in the middle. I gave it ten points, which might still seem unkind to this horror classic, which I acknowledge it's a horror classic, but I, I, I certainly... It, I'm not as big a fan of it as, as you are. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yeah, right. This one I gave 15 points. This is where nice. we were exactly the same. Yeah. And I think I, I, I didn't know where it would land with points. It's just I had such a good time because it was a relief after these heavy, heavy themes and ideas in the other in the other five movies. If it, if it didn't have that recap, you would have given it a 59, right? It, it would have been closer to, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. They, they had to somehow explain why, why Jason was running around after what happened in three. I don't think they did a good job of explaining it, but until we get to... The, I think it's six or something like that, where they would actually make it make sense as as much as six. Kind of, uh, <laughs> Do they? <laughs> well, it, it's a more supernatural thing. Yeah. 
and by that by that point they realize that Jason is actually the protagonist. He's the he's the hero of these movies, not the not the villain, but you know, it takes I, can, a I, can, I can watch him kick that boom box in part eight on loop for like hours. <laughs> the Hills Have Eyes, 1977. I, I I guess I like it more than you do. I gave it nine points, but I again, I, I, I get your points. And I think it was a step away from him becoming the great director that he was, but I don't think he was quite there yet. Your, your love of The Last House on the Left, I'm not sure. Well, maybe we'll talk about that movie someday in future because I, I have trouble finding a guest who wants to talk about that one so maybe we'll save that for another time but do that but, uh, and i sit on your grave uh this okay the strangers yeah i like it way more than you do i give it 20 points this nice. was my, my blair witch for the episode and you you could tell from yep. my and that's fair i was gushing over it i had, you know it just it, it bothers me in the best possible way it's a great movie <laughs> draw dogs i i gave 12 points to hmm. Um, so it was still kind of uh, up there, but it's one I'm wrestling with. I'm still not, if I was, you know, in five years to review it again, I might be in a different position with it, but still one I'm thinking about. So where that leaves us, we actually, uh, oddly enough, have a tie for first with 30 points with uh, the Blair Witch Project and Friday the 13th Part 4, which one could argue are maybe the most mainstream or the most genteel of this list in some ways, as horrifying yeah. as movies are then straw dogs comes in in third with 26 followed closely with 25 by the strangers mm -hmm. and then fifth place is the hills of eyes from 1977 with 14 points not terribly surprised on this one just kind of i i kind of thought this might happen coming in but 10 points antichrist has the least number of points so Lars von trier's antichrist is the movie that has to leave my movie collection and you get to decide what you want to do with it I think this is the first time, though, that we have had, I don't know, would you say a disagreement about the worst movie? I think both, I can't even remember. We both hated Saw, I think, didn't we? We both agreed that was a terrible movie. No, I think you liked it more than I did, but... Uh, yeah, no. and I didn't like it much. No. So, I mean, that was a no-brainer. I was happy to see that go, and I can't even remember what the first one was. And we were dealing with, like, the... the car like Days of cars. Thunder? Yeah, Days of Thunder. That was, I think that one was an easy... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So I feel a little God. bad here. Like, yeah. I feel bad making you get rid of Antichrist if you thought it had some lasting merit. It's an unpleasant one. It's not one I I, I think I'm going to be, like, putting back on okay. a whole lot. Yeah, it would, and now it would I'm also, be... I feel like I'm doing the world, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the world an injustice if we leave it somewhere where someone might find it. So we've got to be tricky. Because the yeah. first... The uh the my my first thought would be to throw it out in the woods somewhere some some artsy black and white woods but I would highly suggest maybe just like tossing that in the garbage first <laughs> so some child doesn't some kid doesn't find this in the woods and be like hey yeah it is it is uh, completely up to you both sound like reasonable ideas I would I would remove the disc and leave the case in the woods somewhere with the talking fox and the hands coming out of the trees, the trees and uh, every all the rest of the nonsense that all the faces in the 90 minutes I'll never get back yeah, the faceless women coming after Willem Dafoe yeah sure well thank you so much for being on the show um, it's a pleasure I just want to kind of uh, just before we go, just do uh, my usual shout outs to uh, friendly podcasts, rank and review Larry Parsons show, 
Lifetime of Hallmark, Kirk Fitzpatrick's uh, podcast, and Film Feast, Matt Bledsoe, who was recently on the show, uh, his terrific movie uh, movie review podcast as well. And just as I always say to folks, please be kind and nice to each other. And I just, every time I say that, I'm like, oh, is this getting redundant? But I still feel like the more we see, like the more, right now we're just in a time where people are just not nice to each other. And that's why I like talking about movies because movies don't seem to, even though if you go on the inter- internet, as you said, which I don't do as much, there's a lot of hate on for every movie. That's uh, certainly every popular movie, but I just like talking movies with friends on this podcast. So uh, Curtis, thank you so much for being on again. Anytime, yeah. my friend. 